I'm Rob Smopolis, and this is The Hilt. Today, I'm having an interesting conversation with Aaron Semmel, the CTO at Highbyte. Before Highbyte, Aaron spent 10 years at Kepware PTC, where he helped shape the company's strategy in the manufacturing operations market. After he left there, Aaron co-founded Upbed, a Maine-based startup developing technology to provide autonomy and person-centered care for elderly populations. And now at Highbyte, he and the rest of the team are on a mission to solve the persistent data issues and security problems industrial operations face. So without further ado, let's get at it. I'm excited to be here with Aaron Semmel from Highbyte. Aaron, I could sit here all day and explain what you do for a living, but why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about Highbyte. Yeah, let's get to it. Yeah, uh, so I'm CTO of Highbyte, right? Highbyte, we're focused on the problem of taking manufacturing data, modeling that, and then getting that into IT systems, right? So you think, oh, that's not that difficult, right? But the, the problem is when you look in the factory floor, uh, we're really good at taking like a pressure off a pump and then streaming that up to like an operator so they can see it like every second. We call that streaming data. When you try to integrate that into IT systems that are more transactional data, uh, you run into big problems, right? So there's like two different data streams. Uh, so the classic example of that would be, I want to look at the pressure on this pump. And when it exceeds a certain value for five minutes, I want to auto-generate a work order so maintenance can come down and fix it. Even today, you know, in 2020, that's a manual operation. Like it's, it's rare to see it automated. So we're working on the tools in between to say, how do we model this data on the factory floor and make it integrate with these other systems seamlessly that are... On the IT side, and today, more often than not, IT is the cloud. Uh, so we have that dynamic as well. Yeah, what's your background before uh, Highbyte? Uh, so yeah, well, I came out of school, worked for a company called Kepware uh, in industrial manufacturing. So we were down on the factory floor taking that pump data and feeding it into like visualization systems and history systems to look at the data. Uh, and then the, uh, we got purchased a number of years ago, uh, worked for the PTC, the company that bought us out, still in manufacturing. Uh, a few years ago, jumped out into healthcare, doing a startup here in Portland, and then most recently, COVID hit, and I shifted, and uh, now I'm at High Bike, back in uh, manufacturing, back in Portland. So awesome, awesome. Well, you, you mentioned you mentioned startups. We, we should talk about that. You know, the the main startup scene is pretty amazing. It's growing at a really really fast rate. What are your thoughts on on the scene and and all the success that's going on? You know, in the state right now. Yeah, it's about time, right? It's, uh, yeah. I mean, in Portland, it's like work-life balance is awesome, right? And you're right on the coast. Uh, it's a great place to live. So to see like the economic boom and the startup here uh, and, and the support, there's tons of local support. We're right close to Boston. Uh, and then I think COVID has only accelerated that, right? As people work remote, uh, they're moving out of the cities to awesome places here. Uh, and then we got awesome things going on like the Rue Institute with Northeastern Partnership in Portland. That's going to bring a bunch of talent here. So it's just, a, it's like the perfect time. Yeah, it's awesome. I agree. What, what's your favorite stuff to do in uh, in Maine or in Portland, you know, outside of the work commitments you're making? What do you do for fun? Yeah, I do. I'm a big hiker. So I've done all the 4,000 footers in New Hampshire. So I'd like, it, you know, Portland, you could jump out to the mountains hour and a half away or so. Or you could be on the coast swimming in the ocean. I do tries. Uh, I fish all the time. So it's like all kinds of outdoor stuff. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Amazing outdoor life. Cool. So when you guys are out, um, you know, in the manufacturing world, industrial complex and so on, you know, who, who are the main people that you're working with? Like, who, who are the people who are working with Highbyte today? Yeah, we're kind of working with, uh, I call them unicorns, but I guess they're becoming more common. They're these people that kind of understand the, the controls network, the manufacturing floor and the stuff that's going on there but they also have some knowledge of the IT system. So they're kind of bridging the gap. This thing called the ITOT 
divide, OT being operations technology. Uh, so we're kind of working with them. More often than not in these days, they have IoT or Internet of Things in their title, right? And that's probably new in the past few years where the, these kind of evangelists that are saying, okay, how do we do this digital twin thing? You know, how do we increase the efficiency of our operational floor and get some of this data into the cloud so the business can see it? They're trying to figure out these uh, how to move the business forward in like a digital, truly digital age. So well, those titles actually have IoT in them. So give me an example of what one might be. What's What would be one title? Like IoT lead, uh, evangel- IoT evangelist, or they're in, uh, in manufacturing, they'll be IIoT, which I always want to say is I squared OT, but it's industrial Internet of Things. No one's done the I squared thing yet. I think I think we should trademark it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, what kind of what kind of companies would you work with? Uh, manufacturers. Who else would you work with? Yeah, anywhere there's automation, right? So you kind of follow uh, the concept. Pro- programmable logic controllers are these boxes that will control any kind of automated process. So you'll find those in discrete manufacturing. Uh, auto is an example of that. You'll find it in batch, like making cakes, uh, but you'll find it in oil and gas, right? You'll find it even in building automation uh, we get into as well. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about cybersecurity. You know, how often is that a, a topic that comes up when you're talking to these folks? Uh, more, more often than not. Yeah. And, and specifically with our product, they want to know kind of the attack surface and is it using secure protocols and whatnot. But I think it was, back, I was trying to think, it was back in like 2012 or 2013, back when I was a camp where I went to a conference in Florida that was like um, industrial cybersecurity conference, like ICS cert, NIST standards. And, and most of the people, that was kind of where I cut my teeth in security and manufacturing. And most of the companies that were there were nuclear power plants, right? Electrical power generators, some aerospace and defense. But I think nowadays you're seeing uh, the discrete manufacturers, the car manufacturers, all these folks are getting involved as well because they're starting to understand that it's a risk, like it's a business risk that they have to mitigate. Oh, absolutely. So true. Yeah. You know, you mentioned, you mentioned, um, you know, security on the government side there. Um, so like the DOD recently, you know, released uh, CMMC compliance and basically trying to protect data that's affiliated with government projects and so on. Has anyone ever brought that up to you guys in the, in the projects that you're doing? Are you seeing anything like that today? Not, I would not that, I don't know that specifically. That's why you're the expert. You're good. Yeah. But I wouldn't I imagine it's coming. I know when we deal specifically with like aerospace and defense uh, and the supply chain side of that, like it is a lot of times you get questionnaires in security. You know, there's a whole separate process of installing. And oftentimes you're very uh, there's just a zone where you don't go. Right? You know very little about how they're installing and using it because those are just all the super secure environments. Right. It's interesting, though. Like, so when we talk to even a manufacturer quite often, you know, they don't necessarily realize that a lot of the data that they store is extremely sensitive, you know, and, and you're looking at this data and flowing it to the cloud and so on. But just, you know, generally speaking, if you're looking at that, what what do you think are some like crown jewels that a cyber criminal would go after at a, at a manufacturing facility? Like what are what are some of the yeah. files? Lots, of, right? Yeah. What, what would be some of them that you, you think of? Yeah, there's almost it's almost like a there's there's a uh, a graph here, right? And like on the, on the far end of like you don't really care is you know you're you're producing something that's pretty basic, right? There's a lot of special sauce in what you're doing. It's probably a pretty like on the margins kind of business where you're making low margins. But then as you climb the stack, and you look like a Tesla or like a SpaceX, another example, or these aerospace and defense companies. I mean, if you get inside their networks and start stealing their designs, and then how they go about. You know, it's not just the design itself. It's like how you actually bring that through manufacturing. 
you, you look at state actors that would come in and want that information, uh, that gets pretty risky, right? So there's kind of this spectrum, but if you're more on that side of you're doing something pretty specialized, uh, you have a lot of risk of someone taking away your special sauce of your business. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And that's a big part of this. The compliance is coming down, such as CMMC, where, you know, they're realizing that these small manufacturers may only be making like one very small part of a larger part in the supply chain. And they understand that if there is a breach in different locations that, yeah, a cyber criminal could get a hold of those things and, and cause havoc, you know, in the, in that supply chain and in those, in those proprietary designs. Totally. Yeah. Definitely got to protect from the leak. You, you mentioned that some of these teams are like, you know, looking at you guys and trying to understand, you know, what you're doing, doing audits and so on. Are you seeing questionnaires coming your way from, from these folks asking you guys about your security? Yeah. You'll see things like, um, so our product is kind of this hub, right. That has connections to a number of systems. So you'll see, you know, are you using the secure protocols? HTTPS would be like the most basic one, but we have specific industrial protocols. that want to make sure you're using the secure version. You know, what ports do you have open? Are those outbound or inbound or outbound or inbound ports? Which ones do you need open to operate? Those kind of questions. If you have any credentials you're saving, like passwords to a database or those encrypted. So we kind of take, we take a secure by default approach. So if there's any kind of security we can leverage on it, particular connection to a machine will do it by default. But yeah, you'll get those questions right out of the gate, especially when they, when they go to deployment. Yep. I think that's great to hear that people are taking it seriously and, and asking their vendors about what they're doing. You know, I've been in uh, a number of different facilities before and uh, looked at some of the gear and equipment that's running some of those plants. And from what it looks like, a lot of stuff is really antiquated and old. Are you seeing that at facilities too? It's like unbelievable sometimes. Oh, it's true. That's the world. Yeah. I love the, one of the reasons I love the manufacturing space is because if you're like a tech nerd, right, it's like five to 10 years behind it. So it's kind of like cheating on the test. You just look ahead at what it is doing. You go, Oh, this is what's coming next. Like virtual machines and, and everything else are examples of that. But, uh, but yeah, but the reason for that is if you put your mind in the mindset in the, in the mind of a manufacturer, like you've got this building and it's making widgets, right. And you get paid when widgets go out the door. So one of your main uh, concerns is anything that stops widget production. You know, we're getting paid per unit output of square foot of this facility. And if we go down, uh, we could lose, depending on the manufacturing, tens, hundreds of thousands of hour, dollars an hour, right? So like that's uptime is their biggest concern. So if they've got a machine there that's been running for five years and it's running Windows XP and it's never had a problem, they have very little incentive, right, uh, without knowing the broader world and the, and the security risk, they have very little incentive to go and, and upgrade or change that. So you'll see DOS-based systems. I mean, it's, it's wild. Yeah. Crazy. And so what, it, from a cybersecurity perspective, like one of the things that we, we talk to our customers about a lot is like keeping things updated and patched and, you know, keeping it properly protected. You know, what are you seeing at a manufacturer or industrial complex to keep those potentially vulnerable devices, servers, computers, you know, away from other things and keeping them protected from attackers as well. What are you seeing? Yeah, patch is like a four-letter word in manufacturing. Because <laughs> if you patch the system and production goes down, like that's that's bad. Like people are losing their jobs when that happens. But they do, we do patch systems. Uh, what you see a lot is like the first line of defense is to say, okay, can we just isolate this system from the network, right? Do we really need to connect this thing at all? So you see these air, this aircraft approach. Right. Oftentimes it's not an effective one, right? Because the systems aren't truly air gap, but they'll try. You'll also see things like data diodes. That's kind of unique to manufacturing where it's this box that allows only outbound connections. You'll see that in like nuclear power plants and like super like facilities that would be really dangerous if something they got hacked or something like that. 
But aside from that, you see a lot of the IT principles coming in. Like you see uh, rigorous use of like VLANs, DMZs to try to isolate networks so that if certain machines did get infected, it would be difficult to spread. So that's kind of the approach. But And they will patch when they can. But again, try to prevent downtime. That's their bigger risk. Yeah, you mentioned the, the spreading. So a quick story for you. We were working with a, a manufacturer here um, in Maine whose supplier down south got hit with ransomware. So it actually got into the plant, shut everything all down. Uh, they were running around trying to figure out what they were going to do. They didn't have proper backups in place. Uh, and they were shut down for a long period of time. And I asked the manufacturer, you know, what did you do? And they said, we had to buy from an, another supplier. And we've been doing that since then. And I, it just got in my mind. I was like, wow, that's all it takes. And all of a sudden, someone lost a massive contract. Never mind the downtime that rolls through the entire supply chain. Uh, have you seen anything like this in, in a plant before? And, you know, what would be the impact in an, in an organization if, if a manufacturer got hit like that? It's huge, right? And like, that's the risk that a lot of them, I think, more aware of today, but that's the risk that it's been hard to get them to see. Like, if I do nothing and I get hit with a ransomware and all my machines get locked out with this, haha, you know, pay me 10,000 Bitcoin, you're out, right? And not only are you going to lose hourly production, you could eat like you just, like you guys saw, you could lose a huge contract to your business. So I think the examples like that are the wake up call to be like, okay, you know, we need to do something do our due diligence. And like, for example, a lot of them don't even have system backups. So you get hit with ransomware and you don't have any option to, to unlock those hard drives because you, you haven't backed them up. Like that's a very basic one that a lot of manufacturers don't have. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that you guys have like sort of a security first approach with the solution that you've built. Tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing on the security side with the product you're developing. Yeah. So we're using all, like I said, uh, uh, encrypted protocols where we can. And one of the things, one of the things that's interesting about what we're doing is if you look in manufacturing today, when you have connections between the factory floor and IT, there's a lot of point to point stuff, right? So it's like, I want to connect this system here to this SQL database over here. So you've got an error going this way. And like, I want to connect this maintenance system to this over here. So you end up with like a network topology that gets pretty complicated, right? A bunch of open ports to firewall to support all these connections. So one of the like the more macro things we're doing is we're saying, hey, if we can centralize some of that communication from the factory floor out, it's a single point of attack. But at the same time, it helps you manage those those point to point. Those point to point connections are actually more dangerous, I would say, because you just don't know what's there. Versus if you start to centralize and manage that a little better, uh, it makes your 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 just your network map in general easier to understand, which makes it easier to defend against attacks. Right. And is that a philosophy you guys will bring to the customer when you're presenting your solution to them, like explaining to them the, the security uh, methodology you guys run with it? Yeah, yeah. We actually, I mean, I can show you customer diagrams where they, they literally have, like, they'll show all their systems and there's like a hundred lines connecting them all. And like, we need to get rid of this. Not only, I mean, security is part of that, but the other big impetus is just like, we can't manage this. It doesn't scale. Um, right. So they, they kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So, um, Aaron, give us give us three cybersecurity tips you would provide to one of your customers today. If they were asking some questions and they said, "Hey, what? All right, we take we want to learn more about cybersecurity. What are three things that you would recommend to them?" Yeah, I would. It's good when they're aware of it, right? Like, just get aware of it and and, be, and have someone on your controls network that under understands it. I think I'm trying to remember the name Shodan. I think years ago this this search engine Shodan came out. And it was like you could search the internet for PLCs. These are like the things that are used in manufacturing. And you would have been, I haven't looked at it in years, but you would be appalled at how many of these like headless, they're sophisticated, but they're kind of dumb devices 
we're just on the internet, right? And if you can get into a PLC, you can like, you could change a whole automation process and cause a lot of harm. And this is big industrial equipment, right? So like that, that was one of the flags. It's like, we're very unaware. We're just cooking stuff up to the internet, very unaware of what we're doing. So having somebody on the, in the operations side that's aware of the security risk and just starts to think about it, like that's probably yeah. the first step. Uh, some other stuff I've seen that's really effective, you know, back, back up all your machines in case you do get infected with ransomware, you can, you can revert. And then another one that's really effective in manufacturing is whitelisting. Because there's not a lot, it's a fairly um, static environment, right? It's not like machines are moving around all the time and IPs are changing. So if you use whitelisting, it's generally a good approach to limit what can actually connect to me, which limits your attack service as well. Yeah. How often do you actually see the manufacturing systems actually attached to the corporate network? I know we talked about air gapping and and that's going on. But if today we're talking about, you know, pushing things to the cloud and so on, it's going to be at a point right now where, you know, security is going to be of the utmost importance because there is going to be a way out through the network, right? Yeah. And you see what you see going on too is a lot of the industrial equipment is starting to support protocols that are more on the IT side. So like REST, you'll see that down at like the controller level, MQTT, which if you're not aware, kind of incentivizes you to go, oh, we can just connect this out to this MQTT broker and we're good without thinking about, oh, okay, what are the ramifications on the security side of that? Should we be doing that? So uh, it's it's becoming very coupled and it's only becoming more coupled. So hopefully you will see more IT security stuff come down into manufacturing in a way that allows them to keep systems up in, in an intelligent way. But fingers crossed, yeah. Oh, I think it's happening for sure. Yeah. So, Aaron, if someone wants to talk to Highbyte, how do they reach you guys? Uh, you can just jump on the website, highbyte.com, or you can email me, aaron.semley at highbyte.com. Yeah. Love the chat. Awesome, Aaron. Thanks so much. Great chatting. Yeah. Good to talk to you, Rob. Cheers. Cheers.